What is going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again for another very special episode with some very special guests. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome my first episode with not one, but two guests on, two of the most talented filmmakers in the country at the moment, Mr. Tom (laughs) Berkeley and Ross White. Now, again, another two members of the GSA family. So thank you so much for coming on, guys. Uh, Let's take a moment to introduce the two of you. So Tom and Ross met in 2014 uh, as course mates on the BA acting program at GSA. Alongside their training, they co-founded the Split Second, Split Second Productions, a student-run theatre company dedicated to providing extracurricular performance opportunities for actors, actor musos, and technical theatre students, actor musos, actor musicians. Uh, during this time, the pair also bonded over a shared interest in playwriting with their respective early plays shortlisted for the Bruntwood Prize Papatango Prize and Kenneth Branagh Award for New Drama Writing. Over the course of 2020, they made a couple of films, in, made a couple of films including uh, working as co-writer and director partnership, and they co-founded the Belfast production company Floodlight Pictures as a vehicle through which they mount their projects. Their debut film, Roy, with David Bradley, was shot after the first national lockdown in September 2020 and went on to to play as an official selection at over 20, yes, 20 Oscar and BAFTA qualifying international film festivals. In 2022, Roy was one of 10 films longlisted for the BAFTA award and best British short film, and their services have already been acquired by HBO Europe. The second compilation, An Irish Goodbye, brilliant film by the way, uh, was currently was filmed in Northern Ireland in spring 2021 and is for recently won the European Audience Award and the Oscar qualifying at Levin International Film Festival in Belgium, as well as Jury Prize at Chicago Irish Film Festival and Rome Film Festa. They're also part of the BBC Writers' Room cohort, uh, part of focusing on TV drama writing, and are currently in pre-productions for their, show, their third collaboration, The Golden West, which will go into principal photography in October 2022. So it's a genuine pleasure to have you both on, guys. So the first question we need to open up today is, uh, where, where are you going to put all your BAFTAs and your Oscars and your, and your houses? Where are you going to put them all? <laughs> oh, we're jumping the gun there, Oliver. Thanks for having us on, by the way. Um, yeah. It's great to chat with you. Um, yeah, I mean, to be honest, that was a big, big surprise for us, the um, the BAFTA situation with Roy, our first film. Um, we really didn't set the sights that high when we started out making um, making films, we didn't think it would get to that level for, for a first project, but um, yeah, we were, we were thrilled that it, that it, that it did. Um, and um, I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what happens and we'll see what happens in the future. But um, yeah, it's just, been, it's just been, an, uh, you know, with the films, it's been amazing to be able to get to these different film festivals and stuff like that and meet filmmakers. And that's, that's the real part that we kind of really enjoy after making <laughs> the film. And then any, any of those kind of extra little things is, icing on the cake really but yeah, it, was, it was more than just icing on the cake i think you've got more things than that <laughs> so but yeah so to kick off today um to begin at the beginning as dylan thomas always says uh i'm always interested in the beginnings of journeys for you both so uh where did the love of the arts or more specifically where did the love of filmmaking come from for you guys where did it all begin well for my for myself i you know the classic kind of youth theater route but i guess i was a little bit late of joining that um i think you were the same tom in terms of we did a lot of musical theater as kids i think at least for me here in belfast that was pretty much the the, the thing that was really available um at a young age and you know my family weren't really a, an artistic kind of background family so we would go and see like the pantomime 
we'd see some musicals occasionally. Um, and then, yeah, I, I kind of gave it a go when I was like 13, I think 12, 13 was my first go. And I, I just fell in love with it. Like yeah. so many of us do. Um, I think I saw blood brothers actually at the grand opera house Belfast and thought, Oh my goodness, this is magical. Um, and yeah, that started a bit of a love affair for me. And it was just about, you know, story really. And then at the same time, I was watching like the the classics, the great films and stuff with, with my family and with my dad, especially he likes films a lot. So watching a lot of good films and yeah, but just a, to a standard level. Um, and then as it, I, I got a bit older, uh, I got more and more uh, sort of involved in theatre. But yeah, I think it was the same for you, Tom. It was mostly a theatrical background first, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I did um, uh, probably in the National Youth Theatre, something I did that was like a big um, like watershed moment for me in, in realising that this was something that I wanted to pursue. And then um, I didn't do sort of normal uh, A-levels. I went to a place in Birmingham called uh, BOA, Birmingham Ormiston Academy, which is kind of linked with like the Brit School. So it's a kind of like vocational sick form. And I did music and acting there as like a dual thing. And um and and yeah, so I think I think kind of pre- knew knew that I wanted to end up in some way involved in um, you know what we're we're calling it now storytelling because we're kind of thinking about we're thinking back to like what what is it that we're carrying on as actors into like film, being filmmakers now and I think it's just that that um, that love for that uh, for that form um, and so yeah so probably very similar backgrounds and I think the theatrical. Um, background that we share also through our training as well when we were actors is um, is kind of prevalent in the sort of work that we that we enjoy making and the kind of things that we like to write as well I think hopefully we'll carry the theatre in us forward uh, into all of the projects that we do. Mm, I'm sure I'm sure you will I mean to go to a school like GSA you kind of you carry that theatricality around your bones don't you and it's just so just emanating from you like when we do film studies it's like you have to learn just to take it down and just sort mm. of have like a very stripped back performance which is it's not difficult but as it's, it's more like a, a different realm like a different artistic kind of tendency mm. to do that in a way um so yeah another question sort of about beginnings really um i mentioned uh, an irish goodbye and roy as well yeah, just for the record both are really really lovely films really lovely shot and it's they're amazing. I'll, I'll put links to them in the description below, guys, so people can go check them out. And I think they really are fantastic. Um, but if I was to start with An Irish Goodbye, um, uh, for anyone who, a little brief of the story, it's two brothers deciding what to do with the ashes of their deceased, sadly now deceased mother. And I think it's a lovely story about uh, brother relationships and also some really, really kind of quirky and most, most of them really, really make you laugh. And um, so where did the where did that one become when was that one born Words. yeah um <laughs> that's an interesting one because that is the first thing that we actually wrote one of the first things we wrote together we we wrote that film before um before roy which ended up being the first film that we made and then we came back to it afterwards cool. um and um I, it's, it's really hard for us to remember exactly kind of where it began but i remember an early conversation we had after i'd been to a football match and i was um, I'm a Leicester City fan and I was sitting in the away end um, in Wolves at Molyneux and there were two brothers in the kind of, um, I suppose, the accessibility um, area. One of the brothers had Down syndrome and the other brother, older brother, um, was um, essentially kind of acting as like a carer and they were there watching the game together. 
both of the lads very sort of like salt of the earth, stocky, big beards, um, look like what we we ended up speaking about about this the next day as kind of their relationship was just like really beautiful, like kind of how into it they they were. And um we kind of spoke about um we spoke a bit about that. And I think there was like an an, an like a, a really early germination of the story that was about these two brothers trying to get to a football game or from a football game or something like that. And mm. then it it sort of expanded from there. And we talked about how it would be interesting to see them go through the process of grief, um, especially if they were, I mean, the, the two that I was watching were like, I mean, thick as thieves together, they were like no mm. problems in their relationship, but we thought it'd be interesting to bring two brothers who were estranged together, where there is this burden of responsibility on the older brother um, who has to make care arrangements now for his for his younger brother who has Down syndrome, and um, kind of that offset this this <laughs> process of the both of them going through grief in very different ways and a character that very much is leads with their head, very logical, and the other one that is pure emotion and heart and um, yeah, and then we tried to just throw a bit of spice and some funnies on top of that. <laughs> I, th I think that's you know, laugh. it's funny like looking back and thinking where an idea came from because I think for us at least it seems like we we start with one image that is something that speaks to both of us and it gets a conversation going, um, and then you know the process is adding in as you say loads of different elements, loads of before you know it, you've sort of it's like like that um you know the the broom the sort of you change the handle you've changed the head it's not the same broom kind of thing but mm. but you're trying to hold on to maybe like the essence of that initial um that initial kind of image and, and what it was about that and I think in that instance it was like these these brothers that you know as you said were getting on so well so thick as thieves um. And sort of seeing maybe how we could take brothers who were at the opposite of that back to a place where they're kind of reconnecting. That felt like a an interesting, dramatic kind of arc and character journey for these two. Mm. Yeah, and it's a lovely journey as well. Um, I have to mention, I think I mentioned to you guys uh, when you came to GSA uh, a couple of months back, uh, the lovely nod to the uh, Del Boy moment with the older, <laughs> older brother and uh i think one of the mother's wishes was to get high like one last time or try weed one more time and just that lovely double moment which just switches off and just falls down that was rolling really through the bar yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, i have Sponging. to yeah i have to mention um you if you don't if you don't mind telling this story again the story about the uh, about the rabbit in that film Goodness, yeah. Well, like 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 many things in in short film land, you know, you're working with an absolute like shoestring of a budget, and you're like against the clock with a small team. So, mm. we had a bit of a miscommunication uh, regarding a, a the, the film basically opens for those who haven't seen it um, with a, a quite very close up shot of a of a dead rabbit, like a roadkill rabbit. Um, and we just had, I mean, an absolute time of it trying to find this rabbit. Basically, we didn't, right? Obviously, we didn't want to have a rabbit killed for the film. It had to no. have died of natural causes <laughs> that we were then going to use. Of course. Um, but you, and, and we just really, I think we were kind of overly optimistic. It, we thought we'd just sort of find one on the side of the road kind of yeah. thing. And then it kind of got, it got to crunch time and there was no, there was no rabbit um, the day before. <laughs> shooting so um it was a it was a mad scramble across rural northern ireland to find a farmer mm. who uh, picked up a, a rabbit on his um on his farm and and it's just funny yeah that the, the sort of the scrambles and things like that that that's quite it's quite enjoyable about 
the short film format is similar to theater back when me and Ross were doing sort of theater company stuff and going to Edinburgh fringe. And it's just like, you know, it's just like problem solving um, at like a rapid rate of about 15, 20 people trying not to lose their minds. And there's something quite, you know, even at the time, everyone's trying to avoid having, you know, like anxiety attacks over that is actually <laughs> like quite an enjoyable collaborative experience. So at the time, yeah, it was, it was touch and go. Cause there was some strange suggestions of, um, rabbit substitutes that were getting thrown into the mix that I don't think were going to work, but we we ended up managed managed to get a poor a poor rabbit that had um, sadly passed away <laughs> of natural causes of natural causes natural causes or so like and I could just see you guys going around to farms like hi um, this is a bit of a weird question have you guys got any rabbits that... yeah well we went down a taxidermy route for about three hours and we contacted the lady that did all the I think she worked on Game of Thrones quite a lot didn't she I don't know how much call there is for taxidermy and game of thrones but that was one of the things she worked on and she rightly said that the rabbit would be you know it wouldn't it would look like a stuffed stiff like rabbit rigor mortis kind of yeah, exactly. <laughs> like um yeah so uh we didn't go with that one but it, it was all good in the end okay well, it keeps just... the pulse going you know <laughs> <laughs> not the rabbits obviously yeah. uh, no rabbits were harmed in the making of this film no. <laughs> Uh, so I think you've already sort of mentioned it already, um, Tom, but, you know, you took, I always want to know about the, um, of course, you mentioned the idea for uh, an Irish goodbye because you saw those two brothers at the, uh, at Molyneux at the football match in a way. Mm. Is that how you guys like to work when you collaborate? Do you sort of start with an image and an idea and then expand it? Or do you kind of just go from a place where you write something down and then it sort of evolves into something? Or do you have a very clear idea from an image or from an idea that you get from the outside world about what you want to write about and um, present. I, yeah, I'd say, I'd say both happen, don't they, Tom? Mm. Like, I think you, like we, for Roy and an Irish goodbye, there's always got to be like something at the center of it, like a, an image or an idea or something at the very center that like excites you to live with something for what is going to be a very long process. When you go through scripting it to pre-production, production, post-production festivals, like you're going to be, living with this for years you know so it's got to be something that can kind of sustain that excitement so I think the the image is the first thing but then when we get into the writing of it what's really nice is how often it surprises you mm. and no matter how much prep you can do and think you kind of know the roadmap of a maybe a character arc something will just come up and it'll really um, spark a new idea that it feels so obvious. And, and I think they're the kind of the best moments in the writing, at least. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Um, so like when you're writing, um, I don't know if you guys have dabbled with uh, writing um, like theatrical pieces or monologues or anything like that, but mm. in film, it seems to be very kind of, not, not I, don't, I don't know, blunt's not the right word, but it, it, seem, it has to be almost like suc as succinct as possible. Mm. Like you want to communicate <laughs> a big message in say maybe four or five lines or in one scene where it's kind of punchy in a way but with theatre you have that opportunity to kind of delve into like the monologues and the big descriptions and stuff like that mm. um you know is that how do you sort of go about that do you sort of just think it kind of stating the obvious here but like we have a message this is how it wants to be delivered and this is therefore this is how we'll write it in a way I think um when we go, I think if we would go back now and look at um, scripts that we wrote when we first started writing together, maybe back in 2019. Um, and we've done that recently. 
weird we you know it's we laugh at how come we were overwriting so much but mm. i think you know you're right in coming from directly from theatrical background like that's that's maybe the tendency and it's i suppose it's just about learning the form and the the kind of the economy that you're speaking about which is required um is you know a large part of the craft and to be able to kind of carry um the big ideas and everything you want to get across in a scene um but tell that story you know as visually as possible um I think we we always we like dialogue and I think we're always going to fall on to uh, kind of leaning into dialogue just because of the kind of background that we have and the the sort of filmmakers that we like that that kind of that also share that so that'll always be there but you know you never you never want that to be um where where your exposition comes from so it's about I think it's just about um practice and um doing it wrong and and going back and learning from it and I think by the time we came, we circled back to an Irish goodbye. It's quite a big story to try and get into a short film format. So um, we knew that if we were going to do it and it wasn't going to be either too long or it wasn't going to feel rushed, that we just need to hit the um, the pacing really well and try and get some 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 really kind of get the economy, I suppose, of of the scenes down. And um, and yeah, I think um, I think we learned quite a lot actually on that mm. on that film specifically about about that, which we we'll definitely carry forward. Mm. Guys, my cat is making an absolute racket. Bear with we me just one we moment. Here. Yeah, go on, man. It's cool. Uh, so let's think. Um, so in terms of the uh, kind of, I'll get Ross's opinion on this when he comes back. But uh, so like when you guys sort of start to, to kind of write in a way, so and I think if, I think I might be repeating myself slightly here. Please tell me if I have. Whereas do you sort of start with a message? So like you had that image of the, of the guys, the brothers at... Uh, the football ground yeah. and then you sort of thought okay that's a cool idea and then sort of like what's the message that I want to achieve from mm. that as a result um I think we're very character focused very character based um and I think the the message or the um well I suppose there's two different ways of thinking about it because the word the word message it sometimes um feels a bit like didactic to an audience as if you're um trying to uh, you know preach something and we always try and let something just be explored naturally through the eyes of the character but another something that we speak about quite a lot which we still from I think it's from Reese Witherspoon isn't it Ross the big beautiful idea she's because mm. um does a lot of producing Reese Witherspoon and in the projects that she brings on she speaks a lot about like what is the big beautiful idea at the center of the project mm. and then I think stim- similarly Ross was it the Stephen Jeffries playwriting book we used to look at where yeah. he kind yeah. of yeah, often like speaks about um, a kind of a central question that's at the heart of the of the play, and that um, you know characters and your scenes and you know everything in that needs needs to keep circling back to whatever that is. And I suppose that's kind of two different ways of thinking about the same thing. But yeah, I think it's interesting. Both films deal with men struggling with going through their you know grief, the process of grief, and at different stages of, of in life obviously with with Roy being um much older but I think um I think that is that was probably um very much on the forefront of our minds at that time when we were kind of write, writing those scripts um and so that that kind of probably aware that, that they were dealing with those sorts of issues um but it's not it's then it's about trying to sort of ground it in 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 real life and make making it feel like it's not pushing something too much but that that still lands at the end if that if that makes sense 
yeah absolutely um uh, Ross, yeah, the question was like you sort of find the message before you start writing so you have like an image and then you find the message and then you go from there sort of thing yeah that, that is a good that's a good question yeah it's it's it can be a bit chicken and egg i th- i think to be honest i think that mostly it's the the image of the person in the first instance that comes um like for for Roy, it was that what what made up the first kind of minute of the film, that first scene, where he is cold calling people from the phone book, and we come in on that close kind of single on him, and we don't really realize what's going on, but he's sort of pretending he's dial a wrong number, but then he's trying to keep them on the phone to to speak with them. That is like a very little quick game that we felt just kind of opened the and then what question for us as writers that um and then I and then I think when you've got that and you get a sense of like who that person is it, the sort of the unraveling of what your big beautiful idea or the sort of the question at the center of it I think it can almost come quite naturally without you having to really um yeah, pinpoint it yeah yeah pinpoint or hone in on it too much because I think as you were saying there at the end Tom if you do that it can become very quickly this is a film about this issue mm-hmm. as opposed to being this is a, a film about this person, if yeah. that makes sense, mm-hmm. or these people. Um, yeah. yeah. No, it was a very, very clear image, guys, I have to say. And I think you you really executed that really, 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 really well. And uh, almost like immediately you had this image of someone who was just, you know, trying to reach out to people like in any way that he could. And and again, that brings us on to Roy, your other film that, that you made, starring the fantastic David uh, Bradley, as you know, from uh, Filch, uh, August Filch, and from Game of Thrones as well. Um, you, you talked about him. Um, and I think it's very interesting how you sort of, not dealt with him, that's the wrong, that's the wrong word, uh, but uh, how, you, how you worked with him, that's it, uh, mm. on, on the set. And you've made some very good points about how um, from... I know you're filmmakers, but you talked about the acting perspective of David, how he was just relaxed, he was calm. And I think you said something along the lines of, unless that he, unless you gave him a note to say, David, could you do more of this? Could you do more of that? That he just naturally assumed that everything he was doing was correct in a way. And I think that's a really good thing to bring up for actors as well. So if no one says anything, if you're in the zone and you trust everything that you do, you're you're on the right lines essentially unless like yourself uh, like tom or ross like comes up to you and says why don't we have a bit more of a bit more of this a bit more of that could you sort of expand on on that point yeah he was um amazing to uh watch from you know an acting point of view and then and then also uh directing him so um so, something that was really interesting in the way that david was working was um similarly to kind of what you were saying there oliver like um, in between takes, if if someone went where it was to go and um, give a note, mm. instead of David kind of taking that on internally and sort of nodding at you and being like, yeah, yeah, I've got, I've got it. Let's 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 you know go for another one kind of thing. He would um, he would almost kind of just like switch on, and then almost if if it was like say in relation to a line or something like that, he would perform it back to you in that in that kind of moment, and then you would know mm. immediately whether or not the note has landed or whether he's like misunderstood it so it was kind of cutting out this like oh a sacred you know when the camera's on when we're cutting when we're not it was kind of like you know losing all of that um and it was just it was making a very kind of continual workflow and when the camera was on and when the camera wasn't on was kind of by the by and then so 
the, the great thing was that it just kind of cut down um, on, on, on the time that it would take for something to be like misunderstood or misconstrued. Um, and it just kept a really consistent dialogue going between us. So, and then, yeah, he was, he was really, really good at, at just sort of, you know, this film set's a really busy environment and especially as an actor to drown that stuff out and get ready for your performance is, is one of the trickiest things. You know, it's not like theater where you have start and finish and listen, the lights are bright. So you probably can't see the audience. So you can just pretend we're just going to go. Uh, it's not like that. You know, you've, there's very stoppy starty. There's lots of distractions, but he was obviously, you know, a, a long and distinguished career. Amazing at just being like, I'm going to just disappear into my own head, practice my stuff very sort of subtly to myself. And if you needed him, he was there. And if you didn't, he would, he would just keep himself to himself. And I think that was mm. like, you know, you didn't, you didn't notice him, but if you're ever going to check across the room and see what he was doing, you know, he, he was never sort of resting on his laurels. The work was still going on, but he was just staying completely centered and kind of concentrated mm. on the task that was coming up, which I thought was like really cool to see. Mm. Yeah. There's something about that as well. Like with coming from theater, I think what you were saying there, Oliver, in terms of, um, you know, I think in theatre and rehearsal, that like extensive kind of rehearsal process, mm. I think it is a lot more geared towards the actor naturally because you're in a room with your director and it is about nothing but finding the performance, you know, um, and finding the story that way. And I guess then when you, you go into tech and then it's not about, you know, it's about the tech and stuff, but I guess like film production is like all of the things at once. It's like rehearsal, performance, tech, all happening simultaneously mm. and i think that can be daunting for like for actors in terms of yeah as you were saying like if nobody's speaking to me is this going well is it is it not mm. um and i think that like that's something that david was so clearly well prepared not in a way of being you know uh, stubborn on choices or like stuck on ideas but he just came with it ready to go in about, you know, five variations for every kind of scene. And he would just give you options and you could like work with him to kind of, I, I guess in that way, like it's sort of the the ownership a bit more of the actor because, you know, we're lucky there's two of us. So as we said, I think when we were in GSA, we can, you know, one of us can go and speak to the tech team. One of us can speak with the actors. But if there's one director, sometimes you're, you know, quick turnaround, you want to go again you might not have that much like face time with a director to get those notes and kind of check in. Mm. So I think that kind of preparation and kind of trusting your own laurels, it, it kind of is very much like your performance. Yeah. Whereas in theater, I, I always felt as an actor, at least that it was a lot more ensemble based and like, although my, my performance was a small part of a bigger kind of canvas, mm. but yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's really good. I didn't realize that five variations of each scene that's that shows like preparation beyond well it's, it's just very good preparation in a way it's fantastic yeah I think I think it's the experience thing as well of like of knowing you know um he he would know when he got a tick nailed on and when he did that and we were happy with it and we were going for another there isn't really a point of him giving us that again because we, we've got that in the bank and when we go to edit it you know and it's not about you know, wild sort of variations where you couldn't cut them together. It's just about finding these little colors and flavors and kind of, he would just, I think it was only when we got to the edit action post-production that we went, oh my goodness, he's just like, he's really looked after us here because he's given us 
options where you know take four can go into take one of this shot and stuff and it can just really he's he's, he's given us the opportunity here to make choices really yeah yeah and that's that's the sign you're working with a great actor mm-hmm. and uh um i just, I, I just want to talk about editing in a bit but i'm just curious to know about um like the confirmation that you got from david's agent to say that he would would like to do it and you know i couldn't imagine you just you guys were just like over the moon that he would he would say yes to it um was there kind of a um i suppose like with david or, or, or any other actor i can't speak for everyone else but was there like a process of nego- of negotiation between you guys and david or was he happy to do what was written down or did he come to you with ideas and say how about if roy was to do this or roy was to do that or was it all kind of cool i love the script where, where do you need me where do you want me to go yeah, well, I mean, he's famously like one of the nicest guys working. So we kind of got maybe got lucky in in that sense that he didn't he didn't kind of hold uh, like the short film brand of this in any disregard or any different regard from. I mean, he literally went from he finished Roy, and then when we were when we were rapping, he was like, "Oh, I'm the next thing I'm doing is Pinocchio with Guillermo del Toro," wow. and we were like, "Oh, wow, right." So you know. <laughs> bit of a step down for you um and uh and we'll like it's not a step down it's not a step down. <laughs> he, he was um he was like yeah he would he just wasn't he wasn't treating the job any differently and i think i think that says a lot you know about about him and his sort of love for just, just the craft of it all um to answer your question i mean originally when we were writing this role together because there's two of us, something that we find really, really useful is to yeah. think of an actor that we can both have as a reference so that we kind of feel like we're right in the same voice on a, on a character. Yeah. And David was that actor that we came up with in the time, but we never thought that he would actually, he, you know, we would end up have, having him in the film. It was just a kind of reference point. So mm. when we come, came to do the <laughs> casting, we sort of thought, well we'll try I mean we'll, you know we'll give it a go like we'll send him a letter um we kind of explain the role the project why we thought he would be great at it um we talked about his performance in um Broadchurch which if anybody hasn't seen I mean he's known for these very like curmudgeonly characters in Argus Filch and Walder Frey but his mm. um his work in Broadchurch if you watch it which he won the BAFTA for is really um heartbreaking in mm. his um just the pathos and like he he is a lovely lovely guy so he gets cast as these you know these mean guys but he's 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 so sweet and we wanted somebody that had both that light and shade in the cat in the character so i think we approached it like that and and to, to be honest yeah there was a bit of a waiting period i think while he was reading the script but then he came back and basically through his agent said that he really responded to the material um and you know would would love to kind of make it work and then, and then it was just about us making it as easy for that to happen so that we didn't sort of, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, chance it. So we, we were like, we'll come and film it as close to you. You know, if you want to do it in your kitchen, we can. Like it was, um, it was that kind of thing. So yeah, there was, a, there was a kind of, the negotiation was more like the logistics side of things. Like when will we do this to fit in with your schedule and where? Um, and uh, yeah, working with the producer Bryony just to make it as easy for him to do it and then um and then yeah we managed to lock it down and get it done and it was um it was amazing but I think you know isn't he Ross just like the nicest guy and he's just like you know it's a real testament to to him I mean yeah he he even met with us before the shoot which is I mean to to get that time with him before just to just for a coffee to chat it through it wasn't really a formal rehearsal but Mm. you know I, I I think 
he comes to meet us and we're two young younger at the time as well fellas i think it could have very easily been like a, oh for god's sake what have i signed myself up to here but he but he just he's just so generous with his time and he really he really wanted to hear what we intended with it what our thoughts were on the script and really chat it through um he did he did have a few, he had some ideas but I did, there was nothing that was his ideas only wanted to sort of add and they were very much like an actor's ideas about the character and little sort of as I said earlier like little flavors and stuff and that's the kind of stuff that's a dream because obviously it's a very contained story anyway it literally is him on screen but you know we've we've thought about it we we kind of know what our Roy looks like in our heads but it's really nice to have like a a new collaborator come in and sort of suggest this and there was a moment on set where we had, we had this little bit, there's the sort of like montage in the middle kind of moment where he's having these phone conversations and he, between takes, he just started dancing, like doing this really like, and like, not, not like old man dancing, like he's a good dancer. Like <laughs> he actually told us that he's like the front man of a band. He's he like, he has goals. He's the coolest dude. Um, and we just saw this dance and we're like, oh, we've got, we've got to find a way to get some of this kind of, this dancing in. So we've got some very good b-roll of BAFTA winner David Bradley dancing to some like house music or something which we will yeah. release for the right price <laughs> starting the bidding I I you know like in the credits afterwards you should have put that in like a little box of him next to yeah it. you're right we, we should have done we've missed it right now. <laughs> you know, we'll like, just put it at the end of another film just to complete <laughs> confuse him because like, next time you work with him it'd be like oh by the way these some outtakes of a previous thing we did yeah, <laughs> yeah. cinematic universe um Cool. So that, that brings me up to the sort of the editing um, side of it, because uh, I had a first experience with editing something this year and uh, it was a very sort of tricky process for me. It's the first time I used kind of that kind of software and everything, but that, you know, it's all due respect, you know, like to what we were doing, what we were asked to be doing, it was student films. So we weren't like chasing something to be released, you know, mm. on a large scale as what you guys do, but, you know, we were sort of creating something in the room for ourselves and for our sort of course. Um, but how do you guys sort of approach editing and how do you sort of get through like the challenges of it as well, if any do come up? Hmm. Well, the first thing I just say very quickly is I think that, and I've said this to you before, Tom, I think every actor, if they can, should like get in an edit suite for mm -hmm. a bit of time, mm -hmm. sneak in, make some coffees or something. But just to watch it happen is the most, it's like fascinating, but it's also quite freeing, I think, because what we found, especially on uh, the second film in Irish Goodbye, like so much of your performance is out of your hands. It's so crafted in in the edit. You know, it's like yeah. we, I mean, we find like adding a beat of like, you know, 12 frames on the end of a scene would like change the performance mm. of the movie kind of vibe. Like it's that, yeah. it's that specific. So I just I think it's a really fascinating thing, and it's I'm sure like how, like how did you find it editing your um like your films? Did you did you not think like watching these performances and trying to chop them together? It was more about actually getting used to the, the technology. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. what I was doing, uh, but no, we sort of used technology and um, you know you know growing up watching YouTube and that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. these fancy effects and everything, and I'm looking at this digital keyboard and thinking, excuse my French, but how the fuck are we going to do any <laughs> yeah and uh and it was just thinking like what are we how do we do this and then i you learn quite quickly about like especially especially when we made like the rough cut of things like, okay we use this 
shot from this take, we use this one from this one, and then kind of just trying to layer it all up and then get like reaction shots. And then immediately you bang, you're right next to, or back in mm -hmm. the scene. Um, so it's, I won't lie to you, a small part of me actually really enjoyed it. It was yeah. actually quite a nice experience to sort of think, ah, oh, this is how you do it. It's only when you got into more like the nitty gritty stuff and like the effects and like, you know, very vague example of like mm. a shooting star going across the screen psh, like <laughs> welcome to our show no don't tell me that <laughs> and uh but uh, that sort of thing sort of scared me a bit but i think that's when editors come into the um in, into the process um yeah. so um forgive me if this is a bit of a kind of obvious question but so did you guys actually did you have an editor for both your films or films going forward or did you actually do it yourself or was there someone there to sort of help you yeah, we, we work with the same editor on both films. Um, lovely guy called Stephen Dunn, who um, it does does lot does lots of stuff, and we were we were able to kind of um, lesser with Roy because it was during like a lockdown that we had to work remotely. But with an Irish goodbye, we were able to sit with him in the studio, and um, you know the process is that usually editor will kind of build um, a very sort of like. Um, like a, a bit like a sketch through really of the scene and, and it's, it's, it's I think it's really important because they've not they haven't been there with you on set you know they're they're just reading these performances mm -hmm. as an audience because so they don't know if if that was a really funny take on set and everyone laughed at it I mean mm -hmm. they might do if it's on the if it's on the end of the tape but like it's um it's a it's a very instinctual thing so they kind of build a, a sketch through and then we go in as the, as the directors and um tell them it was rubbish now I'm drinking oh, and then we kind of work it together and like you know um, build it up and and uh, make make little switches and changes and and it's a really collaborative process then mm -hmm. with uh with with the editor at that point and um, yeah it's it's a it's a really enjoyable part of it like you know we take, talk about making films in sort of three three different times like you make it when you write it and then you make it when you shoot it and then you make it when you edit it and they're they're three different films you know but the one that you end up with obviously is the is the I suppose the important one it's the one that goes out but. I, I really enjoy that part of the process. It's mm. really nice. I think I think we always try and like um, favor and protect performance, like as the as number one thing above anything else. Um, even if the lighting or something, I don't know, is, is particularly. We'd always go for. I having you know had actors training. I think we're just we're just biased towards towards that kind of thing. And I think um, it's just um, yeah, it's really interesting as Ross says to like see that process having having you know what been on set and worried about or gosh is that is that take that i've just done there good or bad i'm never going to know and, the, and like the the honest answer is they're probably going to take two seconds from this take two seconds from that take you know the one word from this take and then they might overdub you know it's like you've got no control but we try and make sure that the actors come off it looking as good as they are you know on 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 set and everything that we've seen mm. Mm. Yeah, and you ross anything to add to that yeah, no, I, th I think that's spot on. And I think like what what is in sort of inherently interesting about it to me, at least, is the kind of is, is the lie of it as well. You know, when you're sort of like you said about getting reaction shots and stuff like mm. you might need one one kind of beat on something. And, you know, something that we learned working with Steve and the editor was like we're looking all across the scene at all of the reactions, all of the nodders, all of the non verbal moments, because it might be that something that an actor gave you in the first line actually works really well. It's like the very tail end of the scene reaction. Yeah. And like, I think it's that kind of um, that flexibility that 
as an actor, at least definitely if you've worked in theatre, you know, you're so used to like A to B, you have the luxury of you start the show and you finish the show and you do, you don't, you know, it goes the whole way through. Whereas like if you're on set and you, you're you you're going through a take and your head's going, oh, this is a dud take. Like it, it's knowing that like there could be something in there if you if you stay alive to it that mm. will gift your editor and your your directors a sort of an escape route as much as anything else if they're in a scene and they're stuck for one specific little moment mm. um so yeah I, I i find that really interesting especially with kind of reactions and and seeing generous actors who kind of get that you know who, who kind of they've done it long enough that they know that's how it works so they're there again like like david but, but like the boys and, and Irish goodbye as well they're they're giving you those options yeah. sort of um, and you might be even watching a take on set thinking, I wonder that was, that was, a, that was a bit of a strange choice, but let you know, and then you're in the, the edit and you go, oh, okay, so we, we could use that here. Yeah. So it's just that part of the edit I find really fascinating. You know? mm. Yeah. I've always, um, do you always sort of get into the editing room sometimes and you sort of think, you know, you've planned all your shots out and then you sort of get everything that you need to, you know, get done. Uh, and then you sort of think, oh, that original idea for that shot, okay well, why don't we use this one instead you mm-hmm. know, always chopping and changing like that yeah well we're we're yeah. quite keen storyboarders um i yeah. say we my my drawings are absolutely atrocious no, it's a so collaborative tom, it's a collaborative process so tom does the drawing and i do the you know inst- <laughs> instructing because god forbid um yeah, but yeah we, <laughs> i'm here on the other end of the zoom um no it's uh it's a really useful process, though, just because we 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 we're very extra with our with our prep, but I think it's really helpful. Um, and when we did Roy, because it was our first ever time behind the camera, we were so terrified that we literally made these storyboards and then cut them together mm. like the film with mm. sort of a subtitled line underneath, just so we could watch these sort of stick figure versions of our film. I forgot um, that we did that, Ross. Which I know, God, it's so yeah, it's a lot. But but it actually is really helpful. And 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 what's interesting is a lot of the time I think, you know, that initial impulse is correct and it will work. But as you say, Oliver, it's like sometimes that thing that you thought that'll cut so well into that and then boom, boom, boom. You get into the edit and you you do that and you go, this is oh it just doesn't work it's awful it really yeah. and and as you said Tom you know it takes sometimes an outside pair of eyes to go I know you've lived with that as an idea for a number of months but let's try this thing and mm-hmm. then you do and then it, it sort of you know it, it's the one so yeah exactly exactly uh, Tom anything to add to that yeah no that, that's, that's pretty much spot on I think like lot lots of stuff lots of stuff stayed you know the same and lots of stuff changed in like in many ways and um it's uh you're never going to know until you get to that part of it you know which of those it's going to be um but that is that that is all part of it and i think it's it's you know you've got to stay flexible and and responsive to the the sort of building materials that you've come away from the shoot and then it's about constructing those things together and if you're trying to jam the whole you know square peg into a round hole thing because it was an idea that you really liked when you wrote it um and then you're sort of working against the grain. Mm. Um, I think that's that's why it's really good to have the you know an editor and and then also um, you know a chap called Matt who was like assistant editor on both films as well as like you know offering in opinions and things and watching 
you know, it's 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 a it's a really collaborative thing, but it's it's important to have fresh eyes and opinions on, on at that stage because, as Ross says, you've lived with it for so long, yeah. and that you know you're not going to want to kill some of those darlings, but yeah. there's going to be a massacre. <laughs> <laughs> They've got to die. You've got to die. So, how many times do you think you watch the final cut before you submit it to be released? Do you think? I mean, like the final cut is in. You've done everything you can in the editing room, and then you're just watching it. What like the final? Yeah, the final edition like do you watch it several times before you go okay it's ready or do you go maybe we could do a little bit more well i i i I think that's interesting because i think that's how you know when you're done like what we found in the last kind of we had like two weeks i think on an irish goodbye kind of to to be in in the suite um which is you know a relatively generous amount of time on a short and we on those last kind of three days we were sort of there and we were tweaking and we were going and changing something and then watching it back and going no that's that's wrong back back the way it was and i think that's how you know okay we're we're done here because we're now changing things because we're getting itchy feet and we're all sitting noting it to death you know um and again at that point that's where like fresh eyes are really helpful too and we have a a lovely mentor a northern irish director called terry lone who is just so generous with his time and and sort of watches our you know rough cuts generally aren't the most fun things to watch because they don't have the proper music they're not color graded they're not sound mixed and stuff but he would watch that and as a filmmaker could sort of see past that and see Mm. and again as you said some sort of say lads there's a, a sequence in here that needs to be be knocked on the head and you you know get to the point a bit quicker or maybe this needs a bit longer so yeah. yeah i think that's kind of that's how you know you're at the end of the process when you're nitpicking little frame here frame there moments you know you should always know what your music's good well okay so so this is a story relating to an irish goodbye so there's a bit halfway through that film where these two brothers are doing um essentially a kind of montage of stuff off their mum's bucket list and mm. we cut that originally to uh, don't think twice it's all right by bob dylan which is was a really silly decision to have done because we were never going to be able to have licensed that actual track but we became so like in love with the sound of it that then we were like what what are we going to replace this with that is going to feel so that was mistake number one um and then we had to go and find something that was that had everything that that track had. I mean, like only like one of Bob Dylan's like, you know, greatest tracks of all time. Um, And we had to find it from essentially like an unknown artist. And you know what we did? We did manage to find a guy and I'm going to give him a shout out because I think everybody's going to listen to the music guy called Sammy Walker, who was around in the seventies at the same time as Bob Dylan um, in North Carolina in America, who um, is basically you know, massively overlooked. And I think, I don't know, was it, I think my dad might have found him on Spotify mm. and like his plays on Spotify had like, you know, 500 plays or something on like a track, but these songs are amazing. And so um, yeah, we, we were kind of that. It was like a happy ending to that story because we, we were able to um, bring in uh, Sammy's track um, mm. halfway through that. And we were actually able to kind of link up with him and show him the film. And it was like the first time his music had ever been been used in uh in a film before and stuff like that and uh, you know that was all lovely but never get never get married to a bob dylan song because it will (laughs) it will divorce you and make your heart (laughs) to be honest in general just don't use any licensed music just get a composer to do your score and it'll save you about 100 headaches to be honest i would imagine a lot of cash as well (laughs) yeah right yeah i was going to ask you guys how because 
the resemblance between Sammy's voice and Bob Dylan, it's uncanny. It's, right. I think they probably were in like, you know, direct competition with each other. Yeah. I, I, I know that um, I think a um, musician called Phil Ox um, uh, produced mm. Sammy's debut album, who obviously was like a big figure in that 70s scene. So I think it was a bit like Donovan as well over here in the UK, everybody trying to match that sound. And then, you know, it's like only, only, only one can sort of survive or whatever. And, um, and unfortunately, like a lot of his music was sort of lost to like, you know, time. And, but it is, it's still, it's still amazing. It's still like a lovely, lovely voice. Um, but yeah, yeah they, we, we ended up using the, the actual, the demo track was the actual one we ended up using. That's how, right. how pure his voice is. Like he's doing it, you know, one tick kind of job and it's just so great. Yeah. He's Sammy Walker. Go and have a listen. Yeah, he needs thousands of Spotify monthly. Yeah. The song's called um, yeah. "The Days I Left Behind." Yeah, and, um, I think lyrically as well, it fit, it fits the um, it fits the the film a lot better. And there was this amazing moment as well when we just plonked the track on top of what was already cut. And um, there's a there's a lyric in the in the chorus where he says something like, "I chased I I chased him through the valleys." Uh, something like that and and as that lyric was happening it was a scene where the two but one of the brothers was like chasing the other brother down through the fields and stuff like that and it just kind of fit perfectly so we were like this is a sign yeah, gotta be used we know it's working <laughs> yeah the gods of folk <laughs> smiled upon us <laughs> exactly um I, I know we're pushed for time but i do have just a few more just a couple more questions for you guys i know you've got other calls to get to but um that's pretty interesting could you sort of talk a little bit about licensing with, with the actual music actually um because yeah. i actually would like to know about uh, when it, what's the process of you know if you could sort of talk about the difficulties of getting bob dylan's stuff and then obviously you went for sammy's music and everything what's mm-hmm. what, what was the struggle if it's okay to ask with bob Dylan? yeah um a struggle with any any you know music licensing well-known music is like that's a huge industry and especially when you're operating at short film level you've not got the budget that they are expected to get for full feature films um and there's not really a lot of wiggle room um uh, you also have two sets of people that own the track because you have the sort of master and then you have the you need the actual kind of track itself and then you have the kind of rights to the to the piece and they're often in two different people's hands so you've got two different production uh you know uh, labels or whatever that you have to liaise with and they need to agree on the fee and they need to agree on the terms so whether it's going to be um worldwide use and for how long and um for how much of the track it's going to be used in and if you're using it at the start of the film you're probably going to pay more than if you're using it halfway through the, you know all these kinds of things that you don't really think about when you're just picking a song or like off spotify or something like that and then it's got like real consequences so it was um it was just a lot of especially when we moved to sammy's track which is a much more obscure track the main thing was trying to find out who owned it because after like you know, 30, um, 40, 50 years of, of that track being around, it's passed through lots of different, you know, subsidiary companies of Sony and Universal and stuff that have like folded over the years and now it's owned by this label and stuff. So it was like trying to track where, where the, who you actually had to get in contact with them and then trying to get in contact. And I think eventually we worked out that some parts of the rights had reverted back to Sammy himself after after so many years which is really nice because you know he, he, that's kind of where they were supposed to be but um 
yeah it was um it was a logistical headache and like we did we we worked with music uh supervisors who and it's their that's kind of their that's their gig really it's just kind of sort out all of that stuff but again with with the short film world you know you end up having to you know do a lot of it yourself because you've not you've not got the budgets to sort of block out a month of these people's time to to work on the film so we had to do a lot of learning i would say ross on the on the sort of ins and outs of music licensing so if anyone's got any particular problems we try to try our best to bestow yeah. what we learn yeah yeah i i really i really would say like in terms of short films if you can if you can avoid it 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 is it is probably for the best or if there's like a specific track that you want you know you can use it as a temp and then you could get like an independent artist or something who you could negotiate with directly and sort of um because once once labels and and sort of publishers come into it they they're just the word short film or passion project or please 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 don't mean anything to them um at all like it's you know it's just a business so they're they're just thinking hang on a second we just you know license blowing in the wind to budweiser last week for a hundred grand and you're expecting us to give you this for you know nothing or whatever so it's just it's it's not really in their interest and it's the same amount of administrative work and stuff so trying to um yeah trying to plead with the sort of but it'll be really good card uh or you know we we love it it doesn't really uh cut the mustard for them so you've got to be a bit kind of savvy with it yeah just be kind of ruthless in a way and just they are a bit we love your music please give it to us now (laughs) (laughs) it's like and then he sort of walk away going, who's Bob Dylan again? Never heard of it going. <laughs> <laughs> What's he written again? Oh, blown in the wind. Oh. <laughs> Sounds like a crap track to me. No, I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> it's one of the best tracks ever written. Um, so yeah, just a couple more questions for you guys today before you uh, shoot off. Um, the process of filmmaking uh, from your journey from drama school, particularly with Irish Goodbye and Roy and your upcoming film, um, for later this year, what do you think that it's the experiences have given you, and what has it taken away from coming through drama school? Was that uh, I would say from because I'm right thinking your film when you started going filmmaking like full on, it yeah, was drama school. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, I see. So that that sort of transition into filmmaking. Yeah. So since you sort of decided, okay, this is where yeah, hundred percent. Mm. So I would say that um, something slightly different about the about the lifestyle I mean when you're when you're an actor you know you've got to be you're often waiting for other people to give you permission to do your thing that you've trained for because you've got to you know audition and get the part and then here you go and you spend a lot of time not doing that thing and I think um, you know all actors will 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 kind of struggle with that but we found that particularly difficult um we're both very sort of you know driven we want to be doing things um and i think that the the reason that initially we were both writing separately this was back when we were writing for theater was just just to be engaged in something that felt like it was um you know just to be creating and then that that became this this journey of of linking up and and the filmmaking and so i think having a like the autonomy and um something which is like you know you kind of reap what you sow a little bit more i think with acting you can do a lot of sewing 
but then not so much reaping or it doesn't necessarily correlate all of the time let's say um or sometimes you you sow a little bit and then it's like reap, reap, reap. you know you just don't know so like mm-hmm. i would say this is much more um i feel like wearing if we're if we're gonna fail it's because it's because we're not very good as opposed to like we haven't had the opportunity kind of in a way so i think from from that element like that that's been i'd say a, a, a positive for us in terms of like um we prefer to work in that in that way um but yeah that's that's sort of that just popped into my head but ross you probably got something there no i think i think that i think that is pretty much it it's just the ownership isn't it it's just having the um yeah yeah that that ownership and that you know you get up on a on a monday morning and you you know what you're doing you've got this project you're working towards and and i think you know we're seeing a lot of pressure on actors to be like actor writer director producer sort of write your own work make your own work do this do. and I think that like that can be good and that can be a good thing of like um you know that entrepreneurial kind of spirit but also I think sometimes it strips actors of the sort of ability to just because like some actors don't want to write and that is okay and some actors don't want to like have to set up three companies to like have an acting career and that is what and I just think that sometimes there's like too much pressure on on that and and, you know for us uh, it's interesting because a lot of our friends are still actors and sort of are wondering why we don't necessarily Tom and I as trained actors go you know we aren't in our own films necessarily and it's one of those where we, we just never really considered it it just seems like we, we get a lot out of finding actors who we really admire, respect, love their work, and then helping those actors to deliver really great performances. That's like a totally um, different, but just as rewarding kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, so that, that's kind yeah. of... Yeah, fantastic. And just to finish on one last question before you go, um, what's been an experience or experiences that both of you have had, um, again, from the right from the beginning like your inspiration has been actor up until now uh, what's been an experience or experiences that you'll never forget i've got a funny one so yeah. when we were um uh, along with some other of our course mates we ran a theater company um for about four years called split second productions and um it was something that we started when we were still training and then we kept it going afterwards um and we were doing a um the the kind of the sort of brand of the company was that we were touring like classic plays Shakespeare and Dickens and stuff like that to kind of unconventional spaces in like the provinces around the UK um and we were doing a production of Christmas Carol Mm -hmm. um and we were having a bit of trouble with some ticket sales and you know as we're there as kind of like producers and stuff and really you know that kind of falls on us and we were flapping and we were like 20 or something like that 19 I don't know how old we were um way out of our depth and then we heard that the venue one of the venues that we we're going to that we were struggling with um got booked by brad pitt's um production company plan b um to be used for i don't know if you've seen the film i think it's a film series of film the king with timothy chalamet uh, i haven't no but um they wanted to use the space that we were supposed to be for performing in for one of their scenes and so essentially like bought us out of that venue for like, a whole week and went for from us being like massively in like you know the, the the danger zone into just about like scraping by 
Um, and so I think it was around about May time and we were in Tooting Broadway in the subway when we found out when we got the call to say it was happening. So we celebrate Brad Pitt Day every year, which is like one of those kind of, you know, it was getting really dark and then something crazy just came out and sort of scoops you out of the out of the gutter so thank we, you brad Pitt. Yeah. thanks brad thanks brad for you know oh, goodness. Out there. um yeah that's a hard one that's hard one. i i would say um when we when we shot roy um we did like a two-day shoot in in this airbnb um and we it was so low budget we were so strapped for cash that tom and i in between the shooting days were staying in that airbnb yeah. so we were sort of like on this live set living there and you know just not sleeping in truth just like pretending to sleep for like three hours and then getting up and preparing and it was probably the most like stressful weekend and the first morning like the, the lenses something went, went wrong with like one of the lenses and it was broken and it was like oh my god this is gonna be a disaster we we brought this bloody bath the winner down and he's gonna like see us flapping about but anyway it, it all it all happened it was all very stressful and then there was a moment when everybody sort of left and we were still in this airbnb and we both kind of sat down tom and i and we just didn't speak for about 15 minutes because we were just catching up on our breath i think <laughs> and then we just sort of turned to each other and tom was like that was good fun, wasn't it? And I was like, yeah, I, I really liked that. Um, you know, we, we probably not smiled in like the last two days because we were so stressed, but it was this sort of um, release of like, oh, the the kind of the energy of all of that work and prep had kind of, yeah. we'd, we'd managed to get through it without burning down the Airbnb or giving, <laughs> giving David COVID or anything, you know? Yeah. Just look at each other like, okay, we did it. <laughs> <laughs> little did we know that's not even half the job but at the time it was quite a pure moment of okay it was there we pure. go i could sort of see you guys looking at each other going oh right we did it let's do it again <laughs> yeah, well, yeah that's what it was it was the beginning of a of an unhealthy relationship yeah <laughs> oh my goodness guys thank you so much for today this has been so so much fun i've really loved listening to all the stories and everything and i just just before we finish just want to say that you know I think, uh, Tom, you said earlier something about, um, you know, I think you joked about sort of before David was going to go off and shoot again with Del Toro, like doing your yeah. film was kind of like a step down in a way or anything. It really, really wasn't, guys. I mean, I've watched only two of your films so far and I've just been really, really, really impressed. And I can't wait to see your film coming out later in the year and um, see what other stuff you guys want to do. I mean, I'm looking forward to your like full on feature. I mean, when's Thank that you. <laughs> and then fingers we crossed we get there thank you so much in fact just just quickly um your two films are available on vimeo and i'll put a link in the, in the description below guys go watch them and your third film when when's that out where can we watch it what's going on um so the next film the golden west um will be going into production in about october time and then i think it'll probably begin the film festival circuit um maybe around about spring summer next year oh it's a long process and then and then you know for it'll be doing that for another year i kind of after that and and as for roy and irish goodbye um because they're both still technically doing their film festival circuits we might need to link people directly to the some of the festivals that they're at instead of the cool. instead of image but we'll link it but we'll find we'll find a way for people to be able to find them because lots of festivals have got kind of like online mm. you know watch it from home kind of things and they're, they're okay. both still out there and kind of ticking around so um and that'll be good as well it'd be good to kind of send people to some some of these um like amazing festivals that, that are just like 
you know, if you can't get to them in person, it's a bit of a shame, but because of COVID, they've all got this kind of hybrid model now. So yeah, it'd be amazing if anybody can check them out that way. Yeah, sure. Oh, sorry. I didn't know that, but not uh, at all. No, yeah, no, no. But, uh, you, okay. Okay, yeah, cool. You if, you send me the, if you send me the links to where people can watch them. <clears throat> yeah, for sure. And then, we'll do uh, that. I'll post it below. You might not be there right away, but it'll, it'll get in there at some point. But uh, thank you. But yeah, guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening to the Uncensored Critic podcast. Boys, thank you so much for today. I've been a really, really lovely chat and I can't wait to see what more work you guys do. And just if you just hang on, um, I'll finish the recording, then I'll say goodbye to you one to one. But thank you guys for watching. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon. Boys, thank you so much. Thank you, Oliver. Thanks thank you. Us. Cheers.